Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson, joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, We are a week away from the draft. We are a week away from the draft. And Jim Bob Cooter told us on, or yesterday, uh, Jim Bob Cooter told us yesterday that he had been asked 74 times who the Colts were going to draft this year. What's, What's your number? Nate, what's your personal number of of times you've been asked who are the Colts going to draft or some variation of that? So who are the Colts leaning towards? What are you hearing about the Colts draft? Uh, I feel like it's got to be like 74 a week at this point. Jim Bob was trying to set a high bar, but I think he undershot it by a lot because that's like every question that you – you, you tell anybody that you're around the Colts and ask the question. Uh, I've been yeah. I've been asked it by several of my friends who are not Colts fans, including like a few who aren't really NFL fans. Like, yeah. I think my number is probably like 500, somewhere around 520, 530. Because uh, like you'd be like, well, I mean, come on, like there's only 365 days in the year. Yeah, like uh, I was at the owners' meetings and talked to like. 30 NFL writers in one day, and they all have the same question. You know, you know, like, that's what the combat was. And like, I do the mailbag, and I'm putting one together now. And like, I, I realize I just ask what's on people's minds. I, I, you almost have to put a rule at this point where you said, and don't just ask me who they're drafting. It's like, it's like six out of every 10 questions, even for a mailbag of people who are pretty plugged in, is who are they drafted? And all we can say is, I don't know. Yeah, well, and part of the reason we we can only say I don't know is that there is some uh, uncertainty left up with what's going to go in front of them. I mean, a lot of it depends on, you know, do you believe everything that people are saying about the Texans and Bryce Young about and, and what will happen if they don't get Bryce Young? Do you believe 100 percent the Panthers have made their decision? It sure seems like that, especially with Bryce Young canceling all of his visits. Um, but. Yeah, it, it does feel like it, it. It feels like there's there's some there's a bit of an unknown. Like when, I, when we asked Shane Steichen, somebody not actually wasn't us. It was another reporter from like nationally or something at the owners' meetings. Asked Shane Steichen some version of the same question that Jim Bob Cooter got, which was, "Who are you guys drafting?" <laughs> or how many times have you been asked? And he said he he was kind of joking, and he said, "You know, it's funny." I get asked that question all the time, and it's like I don't I don't know I might know like two minutes before the pick because we're we're not picking first. Uh, um, I think the Colts probably have an idea of where what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to find out from Bat. Well, we're not going to find out from Ballard. His pre-draft press conference is typically um, there's always a nugget in there, but he usually cut that 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 ends up telling you where he's going to go, but. It usually sounds like a joke, so you don't realize it until later. Um, the uh, 
yeah, the hard the hard part is that they don't pick first, and there are teams that could trade in front of them. Um, the Texans could trade out. There's a lot of stuff that could happen before this fourth pick that could change the equation. Now, you know, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different factors to consider. I think one of the things the Colts have done just in reading everything that they've said and reading through everything that they've said, this process is if I've said this before and I'll say it again. If, if you have a specific quarterback you'd like in this draft class that you can find a quote from Chris Ballard or Jim Mercer or Shane Steichen that will make you think that, that, that your guy's the guy. Um, you can, it's just, you can't. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's it's uh, yeah, and you, that's the thing too is that I mean, I mean, right now they're finalizing their draft board at all positions. I'm sure they have an idea of where they'd like to go. But like you asked, like how many times we've we been asked who they're taking. This has gone on so long that like just as of like a week or two ago, I would tell people like I don't think the Colts know the answer to that because that's what this process was supposed to bear out. They just recently met with quarterbacks in terms of you know they did the some of the private workouts uh, with them, you know, in, in their home area. And then they had them in for visits and they, I know the Colts put a lot on that stuff. They didn't go to the pro days. So they put a lot on both the workout and just that feel in the building. They've always been very big on the, the person they're going to invest in, just sort of like mapping out and predicting what this is going to look like on a day-to-day -day basis until those steps happened. There was no real way to know. So I know there's people that, have been firmly in one camp or the other for a long time. There's people who think that all along it's been Anthony Richardson or all along it's been Will Levis or maybe all along they want C.J. Stroud, but we don't know if he's going to be there. I don't think it's ever really been that set. If it was, they, I think, would have been more interested in moving up to number one if you ever actually had that conviction. But everything that they've laid out for us is that there wasn't that conviction on one player and that this process had to bear it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they will will debate for a long time. I'm sure. Well, if, if the pick goes badly, we'll debate for a long time um, if they should have moved up. Unless I guess unless all of these quarterbacks end up being terrible in the NFL, I don't I don't think that's true. But the, the flip side of it is that's it's also um, highly likely that not all of these quarterbacks are going to be successful in the NFL, um, and. And that would that that would be the case, I think, with that's the case with most quarterback draft classes. Um, well, our editor, Nat Newell, was doing the math. We were looking into it just in terms of quarterbacks drafted in the first round. What's the hit rate between, uh, you know, bust kind of average and then, you know, a guy who really, really hit. And whether we broke it down by the top six picks in the draft or just first round, it was. It was right around like there's a one third chance that the guy you pick is going to be a real difference maker type of quarterback, like not a guy you're just looking to replace soon. So that means two thirds are guys that are not usually the way it's panned out, not going to be the answer or a long term answer. So the odds of them all working out is not high at all. At the same time, though, I, this is I, it's a pretty well regarded quarterback class. It, you know, it has been all along and there's the odds are there's. Probably one of these guys is going to end up being one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, maybe a top five guy, even though that's a super high bar. Um, and, and that's so you're playing odds with all of it. And that's kind of what the conversation ends up coming down to with like 
if they end up deciding between Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, it's a lot of talk about the balance between floor versus ceiling, readiness versus what a guy can later become, and then just the probability that they're actually going to be that thing that they could be and how you know risky you want to be on – do you want to risk it all on a low probability outcome when the top of that outcome could be the best player in the NFL? This is like the, the constant conversation that they've had to have. All, all teams looking at quarterbacks have had to have. Uh, in this process because there is no crystal ball here there never is and that's why there's more quarterbacks who end up busting than end up being stars in the league um yeah it's uh i <laughs> i'll be honest i'm at the point now where uh because because what i usually the way i usually try to do this is try to listen to what they're saying uh, but as as fans of this podcast or listeners of this podcast know, I also uh, am unable to get out of my own way when it comes to having strong takes. I can always find the uh, the weakness in the take. I don't have a good answer for who I think they're going to take. Um, no, uh, there, there's a part of me that leans toward. So I know, like, there's a part of me that sticks out from the owners' meetings where Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay both talked about. Um, believing in, you know, the the mobility of quarterbacks and uh, that if you have a guy that can hurt you with his legs, it puts uh, it puts extra pressure on the defense. And that would seem to point towards Richardson. But there's other parts of that 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 there's other parts of stuff they've said that I can think of or, or come up with that would take me off of that. And so that's kind of the case with all of them. Like like I said, they I. They, they, they've done a good job of trying to obscure their intentions and not not get themselves locked into any one thing. Yeah, and I think it's not just a matter of kind of keeping the public from knowing that. It's They really want to be open-minded with this, the same way they were with the head coach search. We had 14 candidates, and we thought they were going to go to a third round. Like that was intentionally very broad and, uh, you know, like, Chris Ballard described that coaching search as don't start with an end in mind. I think he's taking the same route here. And there's trade-offs on both ends to that. You know, on one hand, certainly patience in, in keeping that open mind can have you looking around at guys that maybe maybe weren't at the top of the board at the beginning. That's that's ultimately what happened to Jalen Hurts is he ended up falling to the second round and ended up being, you know, now he's a franchise quarterback. But at the same time, the, the, the other cost to that is – it's it's a tough quarterback economy right now. And there was a trade at number one where the Panthers are now going to get to be the team to take their very favorite choice. That was the cost in not kind of reaching that kind of a consensus or the belief that you would have that consensus early on. Just two different routes. We've talked about it too. Like the Panthers have taken such a different approach to that where they really believe like they would eventually get to a point where there's one guy that was worth the choice and it didn't really matter that much what they had to give up and they would overcome it with you know, spending on free agents and everything else. But it was all about kind of that one position and, and getting the very best guy they could get. Whereas, you know, the Colts take a very different approach, which is open-mindedness to the idea that maybe there's multiple guys here who can work. They've got a coach in Shane Sykin who has worked with very different styles of quarterbacks and made them, you know, gotten really, really high ceilings with them. Uh, but, it, it, it kind of makes it 
you know, that that open at some point you have to strike the balance between being open minded and patient with finally settling on something. And that can matter if, you know, they're at a point where they're deciding whether to trade up to number three or not, you know, that to, to be able to do that. And if that becomes a bidding war, the team that's going to do that is set on one guy or one guy who's available in that moment. And so it'll just be interesting to see if the Colts, do they ever get quite to that point? Is there a moment where they, where it all kind of turns a corner and they're in on one guy or is this all open-minded and, and maybe they believe that there's multiple guys you can work. That's just been hard to figure out uh, which quarterback I think they would take. I, I go back and forth by the day on whether it's Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, because I think different things they say that they value kind of points you in both of those directions while understanding that neither one guy has everything that they're saying they want right now, there's a projection for both. So it's, it's been, it's been one of the harder drafts to cover from that standpoint. Um, yeah, it's, I, I'm really glad we're a week away. I, I'm ready for there to be an answer, a firm answer and start working on just, you know, what the Colts vision is for the quarterback, why they picked him, uh, who he is. Uh, how they're developing him, all, all of that stuff. I think I think this is happening to me more and more the more I cover the NFL. The draft cycle gets to starts to annoy me uh, by this point in the process. And uh, and and you know, like especially with everyone, you know, the, you know, all the GMs are doing their press conferences. We're taping this on Thursday. Chris Ballard is supposed to run on. It's supposed to happen on Friday. Um, and and you have to take everything they say with a grain of salt, um, or or more than that, <laughs> you just have to assume that they're trying to mislead you. Um, yeah, I I get burnt out on it a little bit. I, I'm ready for an answer, and we I, it feels like we've talked about all of the scenarios. I still remain intrigued by the idea that the Texans uh, might not take a quarterback at number two, but we we discussed that at length in the last podcast. It's it's getting harder to to plan these out, um, and I don't I I've said this from each each time I went you know went to Will Levis's pro day went to Anthony Richardson each time someone someone tries to ask some direction some version of like you know is the wind blowing in this direction do you think like the momentum and I'm I keep saying like I rule out almost nothing for this team in fact I've written about some of the other routes they could consider like if Will Anderson fell to number four is that something they consider is it possible that they don't feel conviction on any any of the guys that they're going to have a chance at. Is it possible that Hendon Hooker is more intriguing to them than than maybe we've given credit for? Um, you know, is it possible that they really at some point in this process looked and said, you know what, Caleb Williams and Drake May next year, they're they're just in a different level of special class to what we think we can get this year. And I, I'm just remain I'm I'm staying open minded because I know that's their process. They're open minded to it, and there's. <laughs> So, so like if you're handicapping it, there's different percentage chances for these things. I think those things I just mentioned, the you know whether it's Will Anderson, Hendon Hooker, wait till next year. That's definitely in the low end. The only thing I'm really ruling out for them, and we'll see if it's a mistake. I don't think they can get Bryce Young though. I don't see how the Panthers and the Texans pass on Bryce Young. And if the Texans trade out, they're not trading with the Colts. So that is really the only one that I've really just crossed off the board for them. But, you know, even at one point we thought C.J. Stroud wasn't very realistic. 
And then that's the whole thing we talked about last pod was if the Texans don't take him, then it is suddenly very realistic. So and now, it's just very interesting. And now, over the last week, since we take the last pod, C.J. Stroud has become uh, this draft's guy who gets punched down a notch for the last week or so. There's been random stuff, random reports and, and checks and stuff that have like sort of made it like uh, Stroud is the falling guy. Whether or not that happens, I think it remains to be seen. But that's that's kind of the narrative right now is that, you know, what, what if Stroud falls to whoever, you know what I mean, is, is one of the things people are talking about right now. Yeah, and it's it's a window into how this process goes. You give us long enough time, uh, you know, the nitpicking can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And um, you know, one of the things you're referencing with C.J. Stroud was uh, it was it was Brady Quinn who made mention that C.J. Stroud was going to go to the Manning Passing Academy and decided last minute not to do it. Apparently, that's kind of gone both ways as far as you know. Was that really a thing he was going to do? Was that did he back out of a commitment or did he just choose not to? It's it's one of those very minor storylines, but it's one of those things where like there are small concerns for all these guys that if you stack them up and enough enough of them up, it makes you at least kind of pause and, and reconsider. And that's why like every little thing gets scrutinized. And that's why like when I was at CJ Stroud's Pro Day and I asked him about his decision not to run the 40 yard dash, um in the moment, like that didn't seem like that critical of a, a question. But when this process is happening where he's suddenly kind of falling, I think stuff like that ends up becoming a little bit relevant. Is that like with CJ Stroud, the whole uh argument against him that I've heard that if you're if you're someone who's not really huge on him, is that it's not it's maybe not the highest upside pick. It doesn't feel like the same, you know, through the roof traits of Will Levis or uh, Anthony Richardson or just some of the really the traits in the pocket, the, the processing of Bryce Young. And that's where like running the 40 yard dash would have put a number to that upside that I thought could have gotten him some more attention and buzz. And it's hard to read that moment, whether that mattered at the time, it felt like the Panthers were going to take him. So he had said he didn't train for the 40 because he, the team's looking at him, didn't ask him to. But if Panthers don't take him, then there's a whole range of outcomes of what's going to happen. Could he go, you know, could he go number two to the Texans? Could team trade up? Could he end up being a guy who falls? Like this stuff can go in a lot of different directions. It's why everything gets nitpicked. Everything's kind of under the microscope. And what gets difficult right now is that, like, you want to read into this stuff without reading too much into it. And so examples that, like, that, that nugget, some of the little whispers about CJ with, you know, the Manning Passing Academy, that's like, that's, it's something to think about, something to look into. That doesn't mean that that's like, doesn't mean something's a red flag. And it doesn't mean that's the reason that you would not draft a guy or that it's actually anything important at all. It's just, it's something that like, long enough this process goes where they will learn about every single thing this person's ever done. There's going to be some questions that pop up. That's true for if someone looked at you or me and went back to when we were 12 years old, like, at that level, like there's going to be stuff that they're like, I don't know. This was I got to learn more about this. It's it's a crazy process in that. Way. I have zero questions. Zero. Yeah. No zero yeah. character questions. None whatsoever. I've never. I, I've well, never. All of my teammates always came to my birthday parties. 
<laughs> What's your 40 yard dash though? Currently? Yes. Right now? Right now or the fastest I ever ran it. Uh, those two numbers, those two numbers are different. Uh fastest you ever ran it. Uh I'm not gonna give the full number, but I will say I was sub five seconds. Okay. I was too. Not by a lot though. I'm not that right now though. I'm same same spot. No, I'm I'm mid thirties now. I I'm, my my hamstrings don't hold up the way they used to. Yeah, and as we've talked about, we if if Bryce Young needs tips on how to maintain weight, um, you know, there's there's ways to do that, and it, it may hurt your forty time though. So that happens too. Um, yeah, no, I. I was I was thinking we could talk a little bit about some of the the cold stuff that's that's got like that that's gone on. Sha- Shaquille Leonard, you know, was as as always pretty open and honest yesterday about his his injury and where he is. Um, and I think every time he talks about his injury and the, the toll it has on him, it's just a reminder uh, of how difficult this is for guys. You know, I, I don't think we I don't think we always think about. Uh, I use the royal we there, um, but you know, the the thing with fans is or, or or media or whatever is I don't think we always keep in mind that these guys' careers are very short and that this thing that they're very good at and that everybody wants to do for is gone by the time they're in their mid twenties or at the very very latest their early thirties. Very few of them get to play beyond thirty five, and and just Leonard talking about how difficult last season was, how hard it is to go through what he's gone through. I think is is instructive for how players have to deal with injuries. Yeah, I mean, every time he talks about it, it's revealing because he's one of those who gets way more in the details on both the physical elements of an injury, but also the emotional toll of it, the psychological toll, really than many athletes I've ever covered. It's it, it makes it it's very raw to, talk, to hear to hear Shaq talk about this stuff because. This is his life, and this is his dream, and he thinks about it all the time. And that ends up being the the tricky thing is that like it's one thing for fans or media, it's one thing for one of us to write something on Shaquille Leonard, and I feel like I've done that a million times about this injury. Um, it's one thing to tweet something, a hot take about it. Something else to live it like every single day and have your, uh, you know, your family's generational wealth tied to that and futures tied to that. So it was just interesting for him to lay out the dilemma he was in last year where we kind of knew it at the time, but he really could have put it in perspective of like the season starting up and there's this pressure to, for him, he felt this pressure to be that guy. He, he proclaims to be a leader. He, I mean, he is a leader. He loves being the vocal leader um, all the time and not just some of the time. It, it, it's got to happen on the field. He's the guy who creates the turnovers, all that stuff. All of a sudden you have a team that's, it's not going the way that the season was supposed to go. They're losing games at the beginning. Uh, they, they get shut out in Jacksonville, all that kind of stuff. So he's feeling this personal pressure to get on the field, especially as some fans are calling, you know, that he's that he's suggesting that he's milking it or that, um, that maybe he doesn't want to play or whatever the noise ended up being that he's very susceptible to. And then he said what he ended up doing was he he rushed back and then realized, like, well, now you were you were so far from the player you were um, before this injury because you came back 
before you're supposed to, that that became its own sort of uh, weight and, and guilt to it, too, is that like now he had to feel when they would lose games and he was out there like they did uh, against the commanders and the Patriots. Um, you know, you end up beating yourself up even more for that is that you chose to come back and announce you were back and it, and it didn't work out and it didn't end up you know, winning the game for him. And then it, you consider that in between all that, he was also dealing with he was in the concussion protocol for a while. Um, couldn't practice broke because that was part broke of his it. Nose. Broke his nose. Broke really his nose. nose. And then, as we had laid out, it got it got lost in all that because there's so much talk about the injury. But he had he'd gone through a lot in his personal life uh, with family members getting sick and and uh, and passing away over the over the previous year. And he had kind of he's always been open about his mental health, but he had he had really tackled it that previous offseason. That's before any of the stuff at the back came out. So. Just been a crazy, crazy year for for Shaq, and he said by far one of the toughest years of his life. And what we're seeing now is like players come off this, and last year was in different ways uh, tough for every player who was a part of the Colts. Didn't really go the way that anyone thought it would, but this time of year, most players are coming into the year like much more energized, turn the page. Last year's last year, but Shaq's one of those who's kind of caught still in last year a little bit. Is that it? It was such a kind of empty hole for him, but it was also a, you know, he's he's not over the things that happened then. He's recovering from that, and he's trying to get back, and he's tied to the the process last year that that he rushed back from a little bit and, and got re-injured on trying to do it differently this time. So, like, he's not able to divorce from last year the way that players this time of year love to do when it, when it wasn't a great year, and... It's just it's just fascinating to listen to him lay it out because we know that this is a big deal for him. But like the I think the depths and, and just the many different ways from physically, emotionally, psychologically that this affects him on a day to day basis. Uh, it's just kind of fascinating to hear that laid out and it gives you perspective to like there's so much more nuance to this than I think a lot of us give it credit for. They they don't. You don't get the same sort of openness from Jonathan Taylor. Taylor likes to play all that stuff close to the vest a little bit more. Um, yep. You know, we know he's not. We we know he's not fully clear to do everything yet after he had that surgery. Uh, he said the surgery was successful. I mean, everyone says that. Um, he he did look like he was moving well. That's one of the things about a leg injury that you can tell how they move walking into the interview. So he did look like he was moving well in that. And that's the, is that part of it. But you don't, it's just not quite the same look in window into, into it that, that you get from Leonard who kind of can't help but wear his, where his, his thoughts and emotions on his sleeve. Um, and, you know, I, I know I know every, that people are like, well, you know, these guys feel good. That's, of course, that's what they're going to say. Uh, why would you say anything different than that? And that's true. But I also don't know, like, are we supposed to not ask them about it or just not say what they said? Like, I I don't know. I don't know what the like, what what are we just supposed to are we supposed to call them liars? Like, what what is what do people want? When it comes to like, obviously, this this is this is a certain part of the. A certain part of the year i don't think that that's a good way to handle any of that um is is to just 
like the we have we have questions we have to ask them about it because obviously it affected availability last year. It's the question on most people's minds. They're gonna say stuff. I I don't have a smoking gun that I could say that like you know whatever whatever people want us to say where it's like oh sure he's not like he says that but it's not gonna happen. I I have to have evidence of that. I don't have any evidence of that other than my own suspicion. So I, I, I just don't, that's not something you're ever going to get from me or you probably. Yeah, for sure. And to me, like everything is just a moment in time. So like we went through this last year with Paris Campbell, where every time that we talk to him and get an update on his rehab and his goals and all this. Yeah, he was, it was the same thing. He was looking toward having a big year and felt good in those moments. And a lot of cynical replies to that about, you know, of course he's saying that and we we you know but it's like we don't actually we're just telling you where it is right now we like we mentioned in in when he was in training camp moving very very well out there and looked like he kind of was building a rapport with matt ryan and like all of that was to say like of course a guy can get injured at any moment here but also what could happen is what if he plays all 17 games like there's different ways this can go and i'm just interested in laying out kind of the full picture of take it through the entire year and then we could always look back at like well if he got injured well it was looking good at this moment in time or you know and, and sometimes we have the reverse of that we're like you know for right now if Shaquille Leonard's able to work back and recover the way that Paris did where he had set, played 17 games we can say like there was uncertainty at a certain point in time and then and then it changed it's to me it's just laying out this arc and the problem though is like everything's so judged in the moment especially on Twitter, we live tweet, you know, press conferences and whatnot. Everything is just all you can react to is is what's here right now. But we just got to not read that much into it sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you just got to realize like, yeah, it's it's spring. It's a time of naturally feeling good for most players. That's the hope. Um, you know, like, like with Paris Campbell, for example, last year what I would like to say is like he was feeling really good in the spring. Does that guarantee anything? No, but it's better than feeling really bad and having an injury in the spring. So you just got to kind of take everything in perspective and but it's like this is this is unfortunately the world we're in where everything's especially on twitter everything's got to have some bigger meaning to it everything's got to be a take instead of just here's an updated piece of information on this very long ongoing story that will be an ongoing story all season long and just seems like a difference in perspective sometimes yeah it's well, there's there's also a tendency like people sort of like there's there's a there's a segment of the population that sort of wants us to calm not like take you like make everything into an opinion. That's just not the way like like or, or everything is looked at as a take. Um, and in our roles, like your in your role and my role, like if you're a columnist, then yes, everything's a take. That's what column writing is for you and me. That's not really what we're supposed to do. We do more analysis, I think, than than maybe people in our position used to. But like, just us us saying, okay, this is what Lenny said about his injury, um, is not a prediction of future health. It's just it's just like you said. It's just reporting what the person who's injured said. That's all it is. Yeah, we run into that a lot um with the draft stuff i know we're we're taking a break from that but it's so front of mind that like 
every time I go to one of these pro days and I, you know, you don't go to a pro day to like, I mean, I went to these pro days and I did ask some questions about like, just kind of how players are addressing the feedback they've gotten, but like, it's, it's a positive event, right? Like you go there and they're showing off the best parts of them. It's not real football and everything that I would share from those, you know, there'd be someone reacting to it as if like, I'm selling CJ Stroud as the guy or Will Levis is the guy. Like instead it's like there can be multiple players who are talented, who have certain traits and some of those traits are undeniable. That's not a prediction of what they'll be. And I, I just remember that really coming together uh, when I was at Will Levis and Anthony Richardson's and they both wanted to show off their arm strength and did on throws that went like 65 yards in the air. And just so many react reactions to that about like, well, what about Jamarcus Russell? What about Ryan Leaf? What about Zach Wilson? And I was like, all, all I'm telling you is that these guys have really strong arms, like superb arm strength. That is a real skill of theirs. Whether that skill means that they're But yeah, I don't know what that was. It, like, pause for a second. Yeah, um, we were at superb arm strength. What's a real skill of theirs? Whether that skill means that they are, and then I'll just put a note in there for Clark. It says that it's there. We had a glitch. Okay, I'll start that sentence over then. Um, yeah, it's just watching these moments and taking away from it. Like there are certain undeniable skills that players have, whether you like that player or not. Like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis have really strong arms. And, you know, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud won a lot in college. That doesn't we can share facts or like very uh inarguable traits about these guys without that being a prediction. I think what's hard this time of year, especially with the draft, is that the way a lot of fans will look at it and some others in the who just kind of write on the draft and don't cover a team is they want to root for a certain guy. And they're like Team Richardson, Team Levis. Like for us, same thing with all these Colts players. And even when we get into like position battles and roster battles, we're covering all of them and keeping open minds that like any of them could be something. And we'll document what's here, strengths, weaknesses, all of that without like making a prediction. I think the biggest kind of gap I see between what our job is and what I think a lot of people think our job is, is the predictions. Is that like our job's not to predict the future. Like I know sometimes you and I will do like a mock draft exercise. That's more the conversation of it. There's some fun little things. That I specifically do. have designed the mock draft exercise. So that's not a prediction specifically. Have done that. Right. Um, but like as, like, as an example, I do bold predictions each year. That, to me, is just a way to talk through, like, what I think are some of the, like, some of the raw possibilities of very, very low chances that could happen. And then thinking through what it would look like for the rest of the team if that happened. They're all thought exercises. But, like, our job is not to predict the future. Like, <laughs> that's always the thing is, like, you could look into, you know, that like, there's so many sports writers that, like, but they break down a game for an entire week. This usually happens on the radio. And then they're asked at the end, like, who do you think is going to win? And we're just like, oh, I don't know. Like that, that's like barely on the radar. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just waiting to see who, like who does win. Like, I, I like to say, we write about the past. We don't write about the future. 
but I don't think it's always seen that way. And, uh, you know, that's it, it like the, the thing I care about the least in this field is getting predictions right. So you can go ahead and throw my wrong ones at me because that's fine. Um, well, it, the other the other hard part is like in terms of like in terms of having a guy in the draft, like we joke about having a guy in the draft or whatever. But like in reality, you can't you can't look at it that way because the if, because it, because at least in our role, because if the the Colts are going to make a pick and then that person has to have a fair shake, you know, whoever that pick is has to have a fair shake, regardless of what your impressions were before the start of the draft, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so you, in, in a lot of ways, it's best to not necessarily have a hard and fast, uh, target that you like in the draft, um, to, to, to the point that it gets to like, you know, on Twitter where everyone is saying, uh, Every time, if you mention a quarterback, I know you had to deal with this more than I did because you went to the pro days, but I can't believe you'd write on this guy. He's no good. There's no way he's ever going to be good. Like we can't, you can't have that in your brain um, because sometimes guys that you don't think are going to be good end up being really good, you know, uh, or, or it, sometimes it just that like, it just changes. You, there's stuff you don't know when you get there. Like a good example is the Colts safety situation last year with their rookie safeties. During training camp, we all wrote a lot about Nick Cross, and there, there was a reason for that. The coaching staff was was in on Nick Cross's abilities. I'm writing about this today, so that's why it's top of mind. And they were in on his abilities enough that he started the first game and the second game. Like, they, they tried to give him a chance. What they didn't know was that he wasn't going to take to um, – he was going to be thinking too much once they got to the season he was going against actual offenses. And – so he, he fell off, his playing time fell off. And then the thing that we found out that we weren't writing about in training camp was Rodney Thomas took to it like a sponge right away and had a great rookie season as a seventh round pick. I don't think there's any way you could have predicted any of that going forward based on like traits. Like Nick Cross has all of the athletic traits. There's just stuff that he hadn't learned yet. And we'll find out going forward this year. He said they want him to take a big step. Will he? We'll find out. Um, but there's there's parts of it that you can look at it and, and think you know what's going to happen. And a lot of times we're reporting what the coaches say. The coaches were like again, the coaches were high on Nick Cross last training camp, high enough that he started the first game. Uh, and and then when when that when the information comes along that, that that's not the right idea, then you end up changing it. Yeah, that's a good example. And the one I think's probably most front and center from last season was Matt Ryan and what that was going to end up looking like. And this time last year, every single player you could possibly ask about Matt Ryan was over the moon about it. And it was like when it didn't work out, you know, when he, when he didn't play super well, the offense wasn't good when he got hurt, all this stuff, like there were people bringing up like, Oh, but you said this, you said this, this, this in the spring and the summer, like in the moment, if, if, everyone's raving about Matt Ryan. Like it is not our role to be like, don't listen to these guys. Like if you're a columnist, you could do that, but we report on what players think, feel, say, and what teams do. The Colts went in on Matt Ryan. They believed he was the guy. It didn't work. But like, 
Again, the job was not to predict what that was going to be. I think one of the other things with Ryan is just everything that the Colts thought about Ryan and everything that the Colts thought about Ryan last year was contingent on uh, a couple of things happening that just didn't develop at all. You know, like it, it was contingent on the Colts protecting him. It was contingent on the Colts having a running game. They had neither. Uh, and so like, it was all based on a false premise that like that, that Ryan was going to be operating with the, the support he didn't have in Atlanta and he didn't have that. So, um, all this to say, as we go forward next week, in the next week, and I'll probably reiterate this, like whoever the Colts end up drafting or what they end up doing, uh, (laughs) I'm probably going to be in wait and see mode. And I know that's sort of the the cover two joke and I'm playing umbrella coverage, but that's kind of the draft. The draft is kind of a wait and see mode and and you find out much later than now um, if it's the right pick, if it's the wrong pick. That's going to be true of the quarterback position beyond barring like a, a either barring either a rookie of the year, Justin Herbert type of season or a uh, this was an utter and complete disaster, Josh Rosen type of season. That's probably going to be true of the quarterback after the first year, too. Yeah, I feel like we're maybe it comes off contrarian, but like whatever the strong emotion is of the fan base, we're kind of like playing the other side or at least kind of leveling it out. So it's going to happen a lot with this quarterback thing because say they draft Anthony Richardson and he's not getting like they decide they want to redshirt him mostly or sit him or whatever. At some point, there's going to be people concerned about that if they're not winning games. And we're going to point out, you know, you know, some of the other side of that argument, which is like he was always supposed to be developmental and he needed to learn if that's how that goes. Like, we're not going to just, you know, jump on board. We're just not going to jump on bandwagons like that. It's it's going to go the same way with with Will Levis, which is like if he's if he's the quarterback, really both these guys, are the same sort of thing in this situation. We're like, if it's not going super well right away, there's ways we're going to point out and say, like, hey, this was supposed to be a process. This wasn't supposed to be. You know, this isn't supposed to be Cam Newton from day one type of instant impact rookie quarterback or or Joe Burrow um, or Justin Herbert. But that's where, like, it, it gets weird because when they draft him, it's going to be such a moment of, like, excitement. And it should be, certainly for the player, for the organization. But, you know, we're going to try and tap the brakes a little bit so that we don't get into this trap where it's like, you know, this guy was the savior and there was nothing wrong with him. It was going to work out from day one. It's there's still a process and there's still things that whoever the pick is has to iron out. And so I like to write about kind of the plans for these guys. What is the plan to manage the weaknesses they have, the things they don't know yet? And then what are the ways to bring out the strengths that you're excited about? How do you make that count and matter? That's ultimately what's going to end up deciding this, but it's a very nuanced conversation. And I think it just, it doesn't really, it will never really fit in a tweet or a headline. It's just going to have to be one of those where like we get to talk it out here on a podcast and we get to write longer about it and hope that people consume that content because otherwise it's like you live in that hot take sphere and everything is either good or bad. There's only like two extremes to anything that is never going to fit like the evaluation of a rookie quarterback and quarterback development in general. Well, we got to get going for this one. This probably 
this is probably our, our most uh umbrella coverage this is this 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 podcast is maybe less like the umbrella coverage and maybe more like when it's like two seconds left and the team's on the 20 or something and you've got everybody pushed way back to the 15 yard line we'll, we'll have a little bit more after ballard for next week we'll probably do a pre-draft um podcast we'll see about a post-draft podcast some of that depends on time and how things work next week um but they'll well with ballard talking on friday we'll have a significant amount more uh to to kind of go through as the draft gets here and and hey if you're listening to this it's less than a week away all of the talk is almost over there'll be an actual quarterback uh well i say that there should be an actual quarterback uh to, to start thinking about the development of by the end of next week. For the Colts Cover 2 Podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.